actually y'all are speaking because we have heard multiple people have testimonies so we are going to before we get into the meat of it we wanted to hear some of those testimonies and i know of the first one ready go hello I, I got a, told me. I've got a bunch of testimony, though. So, I mean, where should I start at, though? From this week or three, six months ago? No, let's start with this week. This week? Yeah. Okay. So, this week, uh, I've been working at McKenzie's for a little over two months now. And uh, this just this Monday, they hired me on. So, yeah, uh, uh, that. And uh, when was it, Brian? Uh, last Saturday, Sunday? Last Sunday? Yeah, last Sunday I was sitting in here listening to Brian Turt talk in the early morning, and uh, the good Lord blessed me with a a vision that uh, I had been actually thinking about for a while, that uh, not only would I be helped leading a church, but it would be this one. So it changed a lot in me, and I thank all of y'all, because I love every one of you, and I know I'm not very mature, but... I can help that sometimes. <laughs> so, but, all right. So, awesome. testimony completed. Divert to my secondary objective. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anybody else that's here that wants to share about the goodness of God in their lives? I've got one. of You got one? No, go ahead. Up here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I actually had a grandson, new grandson, born uh, Tuesday. But the thing about it is the first time she went to the doctor, they told her that um, they didn't hear a heartbeat and that she had miscarried. And then we had prayed, and they said that uh, wait two weeks and then go back to her because uh, she went to the PA, and then they told her to wait two weeks and go back to her regular doctor. So we, you know, went in the <laughs> prayer and didn't accept that, didn't receive that word, and knew that it, you know, it was going to be a child. So he was born yesterday, healthy and nine pounds and twelve ounces. Amen. 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 Y'all, that is perfect evidence of not accepting the facts of this world but standing on the truth of God and when God brings light breathes life into something doesn't matter what the world says it is life he brings life and life in abundance so that is awesome um, I actually had one from somebody else that they were testifying at church er, at my office their aunt passed away this week but they were talking about how it was just the most beautiful transition into the kingdom of heaven um, and they were just talking about how through her death they were actually able to minister to the nurses and to the doctor because in the room as you know they knew that kind of death was setting in and she was getting ready to go and she was 92 and she had a long life and she was ready to see Jesus she was you know some people just get to the point that they just want to go see God um, and she was there and so they kind of put a little um, a sheer blanket over the light and kind of had a mood set and they played the psalms to music and she was saying that every nurse and every doctor that walked in just started crying because they're like the peace there's a peace that I don't understand in this room and I've never I've never felt that in a room before but these people were standing on God and standing in faith and instead of looking at it as death they realized this is a celebration of her life and this is just a step into 
another part of eternity with her Diddy. And it was just a beautiful thing. And so she came to work and everybody's like, oh, I'm so sorry. How are you doing? And she's like, I'm great. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And they were able to testify to those nurses and to those doctors on the love of God and the peace of God. And some of her family actually doesn't have a relationship with him. And she was able to minister the love of God to them through this. So it was just a beautiful thing. And it just shows how when when we are in God and we are in his peace and in his love, he truly does cause all things to work together for good. And so she was just testifying to the goodness of God and how even in her dying breath, her aunt was just able to bless so many people. And so I just thought that was a beautiful testimony. Okay. Introducing Tara. I had told Nicole a few weeks back that um, on one Sunday service when I was listening to Pastor and I believe it was the um, class that he was teaching, that the Lord told me um, when we do the testimonies on Wednesday, um, you're going to start coming up there and, and giving your testimony and that will help you be feel more comfortable speaking in front of people because that was my biggest fear all my life of being up here right now. So, um, <laughs> but I shared that with Nicole and Nicole's like, well, would you like to do the welcome? I said, okay. You know, so that's my testimony being up here to do that because each, each time I'm up here, I'm going to build that confidence and that, um, and be a blessing. And I'm just so excited about that and I'm excited what the Lord's doing. So thank you. Anyway. And I'm still nervous, but <laughs> you don't need to be did awesome. You got one? <laughs> I always want to introduce myself. I'm Todd. Uh I take uh dance lessons and um Saturday night uh, they had a showcase and I picked a song and it was a Christian song, David Crowder band. I could, and then Sunday I came in and they were playing never heard it here. Oh how he loves. And it was playing a different version of it. I said, okay, cool, that's good. I recognize it. Got my stuff, sit down. And, uh, you know, he, he said, well, I'm not going to preach what I got. I was looking at the notes. You know, he said, I'm going to preach on the love of God. And it weren't kicking in. And then uh, at the end of the service, he said, well, I'm going to, you know, just take some time and pray for people. You know, raise your hand. I'm like, well, I feel pretty good. I'm not going. And uh, and you just, you come straight over to me and you told her, you said, play, play a little soft something. And then you play the exact song. <laughs> You know, the love of God. And I was like, well, thank you, Lord. I that was me. Amen. Well, I've got one more, and then I'll let Brian talk, maybe. So yesterday was the ladies' community gathering um, that we've been talking about. And I was going to wait till Sunday, but I'm going to tell y'all mature people. And then I'll tell it again on Sunday because it was just awesome, y'all. This is something that God has had in my heart. And kind of to speak on Tara, you know, I made the comment last night, the enemy only attacks that which is a threat. And he instills fear in us of something because he's wanting to stop us. He doesn't want us to be comfortable in front of people because we have the power of God in us. We have life and death within our tongue. And we can speak life into people. And for so long, I was riddled with fear of people. And, I mean, the first time I preached, we talked about it. I got up and, I mean, I was doing this. And, you know, the pulpit was... I'm. Not, pretty sure it was probably shaken almost as much as I was but the more and more I just gave it to God the more he's just taken over and 
I may get, I still get nervous sometimes when I come up here, but when, as I get into his spirit and it just flows and it's the most wonderful feeling in the world. And because of that, because of handing that fear over to him, I was able to help to start something, be his hands and feet and start a women's unity group in this county. And when the men started, they, you know, they struggled and had, you know, just three or four men for a while. We started last night, y'all, the very first one, and we had 22 women show up. And this is, you know, nobody knows me here, really. I introduced myself as Brian Wright's wife. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know Brian. You say Nicole Wright. And they're like, so, you know, it was exciting for me that I was able to do as God led and put down that fear because even in starting this, I'm like, Lord, I'm nobody. You know, use somebody that people know in this county, that they'll get more people there. He said, no, I want you to be that person. And as I stepped out in obedience, even even nervously, but stepped out in obedience, it was such a beautiful thing last night. I mean, we had several of our ladies there. And we had 22 ladies the first night. And at least, what do y'all say, at least half of them were saying, we need something like this. We've longed for something like this. We are so excited. And I've got new Facebook friends today because of that. And I've got, I've had texts and I've had messages going, praise God for you walking in obedience because this was such a blessing to me. And because of that group, there was somebody that's an addict who was able to hear about Celebrate Recovery and is going to be able to get the help that they need. So it was just, for me, it was a huge blessing to see my heart's desire um, because ever since he saved me, he's put women in my heart, even though I was scared of women for so long. I've had a heart for them. And so I was able to see that putting that fear down and stepping in obedience was not only a blessing to me, but a blessing to so many. And so I praise God for that. And thank you all for your prayers and for your support of that. And I'm done. You can talk now. Uh, That's awesome. I love the fact. There we go. I can hear it now. I love the fact that we have testimonies, you know, and uh, when you look at the New Testament church, you'll see that it actually says, let people have a word, let them give testimonies of what God's doing. Uh, A lot of times we've structured the church in the way that it's kind of uh, by nature fallen into a place, but that doesn't mean that it was actually the design that God had for it. And one of the designs is for each of you to learn that you have a voice to testify about Christ, not just about what he's done for you, but for what he's doing, and uh, each of us to have a word is what it says, and uh, now, and we need leadership, of course, and there is to be preaching without, without a preacher being sent, there's no word being preached, and there's no faith being grabbed a hold of, uh, so we, there's a place for that just as well, so, but I love hearing these testimonies, and you know what, Todd, on the, um, uh, that song is interesting. The guy who wrote that song was John Mark McMillan, and then the one who, who we played, I think, was David Crowder, which became pretty famous. Uh, but I'm, I, the message from Sunday, which wasn't supposed to be that, I ended up calling How He Loves, and then on Monday I met John Mark McMillan, and I was thinking about your testimony. So um, I met him while I was in Charlotte. So anyway... There's a, it's an interesting evening because I can feel the resistance in the spirit to this message. 
Um, and the devil doesn't like it. And I know for all of the worship, we actually didn't have any sound going out to live stream. And I know that the devil's been fighting people just to be here tonight. And uh, that gets me excited. <laughs> because I like it when the devil gets hot about something because that means we're doing some good stuff. And uh, so I hope that you enjoy this message as much as I do. And uh, really a lesson, it's, it, I'll, I may end up preaching, but um, there's, and this is the question, maybe you saw it already on, uh, on, online, is does God hate sinners? And before you answer that fully, let's go to this verse in Psalms, uh, Psalms 11.5. Or I tell you what, let's let's go. Yeah, that'll work. Let's go to Psalms five five. Psalms five five, and the notes are online if you want to go there. Boomerangchurch.org/notes. And Psalms five five says, "The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity." So the question tonight is, does God hate? sinners because that's pretty straightforward what it says right there isn't it sin he asked what does iniquity mean sin and if you do have a question i want you to raise your hand we'll we'll ask that and so that's a good question good question so there's um so it says here in psalms you hate all who do iniquity and in psalms uh 11 5 it says the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Now we just finished with 1 John chapters 1 through 5, talking about God is love, and we got to love, and we got to know God, and, and God loves people. And now here's this. <laughs> and now remember, because look, if I look at these scriptures, remember this is the attitude that we are to have. If it's in the word, that's what we should believe. We should not believe, and before you, you decide which way I'm falling on, the, on this question, just listen. Before you believe in what you've been taught, in what I say, in what you think, in what your emotions say. What we need to do is we need to hear what God says. And that means we've got to go to the word. So tonight as we go in this. I don't want you. I'm going to show you in the word the answer to this question. And it's just general. This is a topic literally we could go for weeks on. Uh, I'm just giving you a general answer to it. and giving you. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to. One the leading that's in your heart. And number one is the leading that was in the Word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because the leading that's in your heart, you could, you know, bias. But the leading that's in Scripture, it's not biased. And so we need to go to the Word. And no matter where you feel like or think you feel on this, you need to say, what does the Word say about this? And so... And, and let me just ask you right now, I won't ask you which side. As, as I ask that question, in your heart, 
Do you feel like you know what it should be? Maybe you don't have all the details to it, but do you have a stance on it kind of in your heart already? Okay. If you do, raise your hand. If you've got some leading already in your heart on this issue. Okay, now I want you to remember what you're thinking right now because at the end it'd be neat to take a poll and see how many thought God hates them and how many think God does it. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see where we, where we stood. So. And it's okay. It's, it's, this is learning. This is maturing and growing in Christ. So here's how this question come, came up. I was um, Andrew Womack who I I really appreciate his ministry. I think he's probably one of the most uh, balanced teachers of the word that's out there today. What I've seen out of him has just been outstanding. Um, And I've seen a lot of good teachers, but I mean, he ranks way up there. I just really like him. And he's been talking recently about the nature of God. And uh, he's been saying something, which I'll talk about later, that really has grabbed my attention. And the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, pricked my heart based off of those words that I heard and saw. And he's had me meditating on something that Andrew said. And so while I was on the trip last week, I was listening to an audio book. And it's a fairly popular one, and I'll, I'll try not to say uh, what the name of it is. But it was one I'd heard about a whole lot. And the first chapter was awesome. What they were talking about was so right on, and man, it was just so great. And then we flipped to chapter two, and I was, and it started going into that chapter two, and it started talking about you know, and this is this is one of the things that was said. If I, I'll try to quote it exactly, but I'm going from memory. It said. Uh, God is not just the loving Father. And, of course, when I heard that statement, I went, (laughs) Now, hold up. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, he is. And then it went on to say that God is also a God of wrath and judgment, and he hates the sinner. That's what this book was saying. And I went, oh, man. I said, now I I know, it seems like I've read that, but I need to see. I need to spend some time on this because if Scripture says that, how does this fit with the loving Father and John, 1 John that we just finished? How, where does this fit? And so I found those two verses that I just showed you, and there's several more uh, like that. And, uh, and I read those, and I went, uh... And see, I'm, I do what I tell you to do. You've got to go with Scripture. And if you're wrong, that's okay. Just change. And so I looked at these Scriptures, and, and I had leading in my heart already on one side or the other. I had leading that was there, but I needed Scripture. I needed to... We don't just make up our mind because we see something and we don't like it, so that doesn't apply for today. That's not how this works. We need to be like good Bereans that go home. We study the scriptures. We don't just believe what's being preached. We don't just believe what's, what's been read. We don't just believe uh, what our family has taught us. We believe God. We believe God. We're believers. And if we're believers, we're not believers of Brian or believers of a preacher or believers of an author. We're believers of God, the author. 
the author and finisher of our faith. So it's important for us to answer questions like this. And this will help you tonight, I believe. So, uh, what is this about hate and wrath and death and punishment? And I'm just going to give you a couple of verses, but the Old Testament's chock full of them. <laughs> and uh, and there's, some, there's some reasoning, there's some things that I can tell you and show you in the original languages versus English and all that stuff. But I'm just, we're just going to go pretty simple tonight. And uh, let's look at Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So now we've got hate against sinners and those that do violence, and we have wrath against the unrighteous. How many people are uncomfortable <laughs> right now? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. We got hate, wrath. In that wrath is a judgment. And we have a punishment here of death. Now we know this. We know some of these scriptures. We've seen them before. So, we'll go ahead and, and answer the question now, and then I'll show you the foundation for it. So, the thing that Andrew Womack had been saying was that the, the picture of the Old Testament is true, but it's incomplete. And so, it, it's incomplete. And let me, let me show this. Here's exactly what he said. In the Old Testament, we see a picture of God that is incomplete. And I love this next statement. It's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. It was a part of the plan. But it wasn't a finished plan yet. Where do we see the finished plan of God? We see it when he not only spoke and said it's finished. But when he rose up out of the grave. He emptied the tomb and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And we seated, those believers are seated there with him right now in heavenly places. We are seated there with him in, in the Spirit. So the completion is not in the Old Testament. The completion is through Jesus Christ. And this is a huge point. So he said, in the Old Testament we see a picture of God that is incomplete. It is not incorrect, it's just incomplete. So I read that, I think, last week, and oh man, that thing was just sitting on me, and I, was, I just liked the way he said that, and I knew by the Holy Spirit it was correct. And, uh, and you, have you ever seen people that are just, man, they're just full of, um, well... We would say, we used to would say piss and vinegar, but that's, you know, being this church, I was searching for something else, but you get the point there. But they were full of it. Have you ever seen them? And they're like, you need to get born again. And God hates your sin. He hates you until you get born again. You know, you've seen people preach that way. And the problem is that they're preaching scripture, but they're, they're preaching an incomplete picture of God. An incomplete picture. Because God's purpose was never to stay in the place where he hated the sinner. 
God's purpose was never to stay there. He already had out from the very beginning. Matter of fact, the completion was with him there in the beginning. He was the Alpha and Omega, or uh, this is a whole other teaching, but the Aleph Tav. He was there in the beginning with God. And the plan of God was completed in Jesus. He was already there and so if they just looked at the beginning of the picture they would see one that was incomplete they would not see the completed nature of God and then Andrew said this as well just quoting him he says he, he said that I think I read this today or yesterday he said unless we harmonize the New Testament with the Old Testament we are going to end up misunderstanding the love and the whole nature of God I'll say that again. Unless we harmonize the New Testament with the Old Testament, we are going to end up misunderstanding the love and the whole nature of God. So I want us for a second to look back at the Old Testament and I want us to see what is actually there. What's that half of the picture? And that half of the picture is a loving father, but it's also a wrathful God. And a God that does hate sin and the sinner in the Old Testament. Okay? And it's not that he, that he does it now, but there's, more, there's a more complete picture that you'll see. So there is, let me put it this way, there's a wrath and a judgment that has to be poured out somewhere. And, and it's not just because God longs to pour out wrath and judgment. No, it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you were uh, completely burning hot, hotter than the sun, and something came up in front of you or even close to you that could not bear the heat, what's it going to do? It's going to explode. There's a judgment for getting close to something, let's say it this way, that's that pure. And the only thing that can come next to something that's that hot is something that's designed to withstand the heat. Something that is that pure again. So how, let me ask you this question, no matter how big or small it is, how does sin stand next to God? And the answer is, it does not. Sin cannot. Stand next to a holy and righteous God. It just can't. It won't. And so there has to be an answer for that sin. There has to be something. And that, that nature of God that's so holy, it has to deal with that sin. If that sin's not dealt with, could we ever approach God? No. And so for sin to be dealt with, what's the wages of that sin? Death. So death had to be poured out. Wrath had to be poured out to remove sin so that then something could approach. A holy God. Let's look, and this is probably one of the strongest scriptures to all of this, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. This is an absolute great scripture. Great, great scripture. Talking about Jesus, and it says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. Now he's talking about he's the radiance of the Father, of the glory of the Father. 
He's the radiance of his glory. And listen to this statement here. The exact representation of his nature. So when we see Jesus, when we see him, we see the completion of the nature of the Father. We see the completed picture when we look at Christ. He is the exact. Now this is a word-for-word translation. This is as close as it can get without delving into you know, the original Greek. This is as close as you can get. It is the exact representation of his nature. Now there's literal translations that are as close in English as this is as close as you can get without you know, completely getting the English to the point where it's hard to read. He's the exact. Exact, exact representation of the nature of the Father. And here's what Jesus does. Here's what the picture of God does. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. Now, here's the interesting thing about that is what did Jesus do? I want you to just think about when he's sitting there on the cross. He's suffering. He's about to die. He's about to give up the ghost. And here's people telling him, if you were really the Son of God, you'd come down off that cross. Taunting him. Mocking him. Soldiers spitting in his face. Now Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. Where's the hatred? Where's the wrath? Where's the judgment? Because if the wrath was there, if the judgment was there, if the hatred was there, if that was the only picture, what would have happened to those folks? <laughs> Right. But what did the exact nature of the Father say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That was the exact nature of the Father. That was the complete picture. And now there was a place for the punishment of sin and the wrath of sin to go. And it fell on Jesus. You know, in uh, John 14, 9, it says this. He says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 5, 19 says, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And then in 1 John 4, 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. These statements are true, and they're complete. You see, these statements, a lot of times in the New Testament, they represent the completion and the complete nature, the complete character of God. And so you've got people that will dwell in the Old Testament or they'll dwell in the New Testament and we really need to dwell in both. 
Both were needed to have a complete picture of God. Both are needed for these things. It's not okay to just just say, hey, you know, and there, I talked about that, you know, the argument that's in the body of Christ now. It's not okay to say, hey, God's grace covers it all. You go do whatever you want. That's not okay. You're throwing away a piece of God that, that is there. You're throwing away a piece of the picture. That's not okay to do. Even though he's paid for every sin. It doesn't matter because out of love for God, that's not. He tells us, God forbid you even think in that way. But then to go back and say, if you don't straighten up, God's going to strike you down. You know, that's not okay either. And I've heard people do that. Matter of fact, the one, I, I would say, the, the one that says you can do anything is closer to the complete nature than the one that says God would strike you down. But they're both apart. They're both incomplete without the other. They're both there for a reason to give you the full picture of what's really happening here. To give us the full picture of what actually is happening as far as this earth is concerned with the Father and His Son and His Holy Spirit. So let's continue on. Let's look at this and let's, let's answer this a little bit in Isaiah 51. 22. Now, a couple of verses up there before this, it talks about that the wrath of God was poured out on the children of Israel. You've heard me say this before, but somewhere around Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 50, I think it's 40 to 45, the whole nature of Isaiah changes and he starts prophesying not just about where Israel is going and the people are going to be. He starts prophesying about a future Israel. He starts prophesying about where the age of grace comes in because of the Messiah. And at this point in these scriptures, by the time he's here, he's completely prophesying about the new Jews, the new Israel, the new people of God, and those are the ones who would have accepted the Messiah. And so right here, this is what he says about believers. This is what he says about Christians. He says this, and this is a promise. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people. That means he's, he's fighting for you. So this is Old Testament looking forward to the promise. And he says, the Lord, he contends for you. He acts on your behalf. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice or the cup of my anger. You will never drink it again. Now, at the very least, believers, true believers in Christ, this is a promise for them because he's, he's telling us about future Israel. He's telling us about Christians. And he's saying, when you receive the Christ as the Messiah, you will never drink of my anger again. This is a promise. I can say to you in complete absolute, if you're a believer, you never have to taste his anger again. If you're tasting of something, it ain't God. If, of some, somebody's anger, it's not God's. Because that's a promise. And he says it again a few chapters later in Isaiah 54, verse 7 through 9. He says basically the exact same thing, but he, he kind of gives them even more of a promise here. He says, 
Uh, Isaiah 54, 7 says, For a brief moment I forsook you. Now what he's talking about, he's talking about the Old Testament in between sin and the law and the age of grace through Jesus Christ. He's talking about before Christ, there was a period of time where you had to be forsaken because of your sin until there was a, an atoning sacrifice, until there was a Messiah, until Christ came on the scene. He said, look, I forsook you. He said, and, and why did he have to do that? Because here's why. If he comes up to you in the middle of all your sin, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? You can't draw near. You're dead if you try to. The sin and His holiness, they don't mix. So He's contending for you. He's trying to find the place where you can boldly come before His throne again in Christ. He's working on this plan. This plan is working. It's active. It's happening right now. And Isaiah's prophesying about it. And he says, For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. This is the God of the Old Testament. Prophesying about himself through Isaiah, saying, let me show you more of the complete picture because we're not done yet. There's more coming. I will gather you with great compassion. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from, from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. Now this, and he just made a promise. He said, this is the way it was. But listen, I'm fixing it so that I can love you forever. Everlasting loving kindness. That means his goodness, his love. The mercy. He says, I'm fixing it. I'm gathering you together through my love, through my compassion, so that forever I can love on you. I don't have to turn my face from you again. I can love on you. Then he says this, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, when he says, says the Lord, your Redeemer, what he's saying, he's cluing us into how this is going to come about. He, it's going to come about through my Redeemer. Through the Redeemer. It's going to come about by accepting Christ. And when we accept Christ, verse 9, For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again, so I have sworn... Now that's strong language for God. Do you, you realize that? I mean, most of the time He'll just say, Yeah, I'm not going to do that. He's saying right here, I'm, I'm giving you my word. I'm, I'm swearing by my word I have sworn. I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. So at the very least here in Isaiah, now I'm not going to say in Isaiah that that masks the whole world. That's not what it's saying there. But what it is saying is for those that believe, that's a promise. For Christians, they will never taste the anger of the Lord again. They will never taste His wrath, His cup of fury. They will never taste that anymore. It's everlasting. Everlasting. It's a very strong promise. So I'm not saying that He's saying the whole world right here, but He's definitely talking about Christians. Well, I can tell you this. If for no other reason to be a Christian, that one right there is a good one. 
let's get on the good side of God and let's stay there. Man, if that's the case and I never have to taste the wrath of God, uh, you know, all-powerful, almighty God ever again, that's a good reason to find your Redeemer in Jesus. Amen? All right. Andrew, uh, he wrote this, and I want to just read it to you. He said uh, a lot of times that they said that Jesus was breaking the law. But he wasn't. He, we know he did not break the law, but they thought he brought, broke the law. And what they didn't understand was the true heart of the Father. They wanted to continue pouring out judgment and, and the anger and wrath of God through their own acts. But God didn't long to do that. And so he says, Andrew says this, Of course, Jesus didn't break the law. He's the only one who ever truly kept the law. But the mercy and grace Jesus extended. Now, where did that mercy and grace that Jesus extend originate from? The nature of the Father. He never did anything but what he saw the Father do. So when he moved in mercy and grace, what it's saying is there were people, religious people, that were saying, you're breaking the law. We want to see more punishment. We want to see more wrath. And Jesus was saying, that ain't God. That's not the nature of my Father. And they were like, well, you're breaking the law. He said, no, I'm completing it. This was what he was saying in action. I'm completing who God is. He said, but the mercy and grace Jesus extended towards people was radically different from eye for eye and tooth for tooth of the Old Testament laws. Look at, the, look at a few examples of this. Uh, in John 8, we read this on Sunday, John forgave a woman who the law contem condemned to death. So the law said you put her to death, Jesus forgave her. One was the nature of God, and one wasn't. Which one? The forgiving. Setting her free. Jesus ate and fellowshiped with publicans and sinners, which the legalistic Jews of his day would not do. Matthew 9.11 Jesus touched the untouchable. Matthew 8.3 And loved the unlovable. Luke 8.2 He showed us grace and mercy, which the Old Testament law didn't do. So the Old Testament took a picture of God. The only problem was it was an incomplete picture of God. And now let's look at some of the scriptures that are so strong and so powerful in this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Does God hate the sinner? It says this, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled or made us right. Okay? In other words, we were, we were not at the level we needed to be. He brought us to the level we needed to be at. We were not right with God. He made us right with God. This is what reconciled means. Uh, when, you, when you reconcile your checkbook, you account for every penny spend and the balances come up equal. Okay? So it makes you right. It's kind of like in the, uh, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 1, where, or in the account of creation, where it says that uh, Eve 
was a help mate uh, for Adam. It actually, what that means is not just somebody to help. It means that the word there really in the Old English is meet, a help meet. And you'll see that in older Bibles, help meet. And that's the same word where we get metered, metered. Like in other words, they, she measured up to him. So it was a help meet or equal with Adam. Now there was differences of offices and functions and ultimately through the word we find out that, that she was subject to him in a loving spiritual authority. But it's the same word, it was metered. And so what he's saying is we were made right, we were made metered out to the areas, to the righteousness of God where we needed to be. We were made right with him. Okay, So it says... Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And so, in other words, what he did was he made us right with the Father where we were in sin and we were wrong. Now he's brought us up to the right place and he did that through Christ. And he gave us the ministry or the service of making other people right, or helping other people get right. In other words, man, I was so wrong and so off, and God saved me, and he brought me up to the level where I could have fellowship with him again, and a relationship, and where I was so wrong, he made me right. Yes, and he did that through Christ, and now he's given each one of us, every one of us, no matter who you are, what you do, or where you come from, he's made every Christian a ministry that tells other people you can be right with God too. He's paid the price for you. And he goes on to talk about it. Now watch this. Does God hate the sinner? Verse 19. Namely, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and here it is. Namely, that God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God the Father was in Christ. The nature of, of himself was in Christ, bringing the world up to the right place in God. Now, I want you to notice right here that it doesn't say bringing the believers and bringing the Christians. Who does it say he's talking about and who was made right? The world. The world. The same world that we're not supposed to be a part of. That's who he made right, you know? We're, we're supposed to be in the world but not of this world. We're not supposed to be of the flesh because it has a nature and it's a wrong one. And yet he's, what he's telling us is in Christ he made the world right. And watch, it gets even stronger. Not counting their trespasses against them. Against the Christians? No. The world. Now hold up. Now we're talking about a whole nother level here. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation or the word that says you've been made right with God. Then he says this. Therefore, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. And verse 21, and here we go. This is, this is very powerful. This answers our question right here in this one verse. Between this one and Hebrews uh, 1.3 that I said first, it was 1.3, not 3.1, right? So that verse and this verse, it kind of answers. He says, he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Now, the wages of that sin is what? Death. The wrath of God was poured out on that sin. The judgment was poured out on that sin. So all the judgment of God was poured out on there if simply somebody would say, Lord, make me right. I believe in Christ. I believe that you brought him back to life. Bring me back to life. Raise me up from this dead state and into a new one. And it's as simple as that. And you receive the righteousness so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ, so that I can receive the righteousness of God and be made right with Him. So all that sin that God hated, He poured it all on Jesus, and along with it, His wrath, and it's sitting there, and, and in that wrath, the punishment came on Jesus. The Old Testament prophesies that tells us He was not even recognizable as a man, is how much wrath his body took. That was in Isaiah 2, if I'm, I remember correct. Is that right? I believe Isaiah 53. And so, in there, he says, he says he took every bit of it. And so, where the, the picture in the Old Testament said, God hates sinners. In the New Testament, it says, he says, what sin Accept my love. What sin are you talking about? I don't see it. Now, here's the thing. Can you still be in sin? Yep. <laughs> you still can. And Jesus has taken the punishment for it. But in Romans, I didn't have this scripture down. Uh, I think it's, it's in the first couple of chapters of Romans. Let's look at Romans 1. I want to show you something. All right, uh, Romans 2, 5. Let's go to verse 4, Romans 2, 4, excuse me. He says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You see, we can't even get to repentance without seeing the kindness and the love of God where he poured out the wrath on Christ and made us right with him and is not holding sin against us anymore. But what he's talking about right here is, are you going to take that and throw it away? Do you not know that his kindness will lead you to the place where true repentance happens? This is where people that get up and they're, they're preaching about you know, an angry, angry God and, and a wrathful and a judge, and they're only 
preaching half of the picture. The problem is what they're stepping away from is the place where actual repentance can happen in their heart because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So when the people say, oh my goodness, you mean in all my junk, which I know I've done wrong, because the law, I, I feel it, I know it, I've messed up, I have transgressed God. You're saying in all my junk, God's not holding it against me, but if I'll accept Christ, all of that's wiped away. And now they, they feel the goodness of God. Now if I'm preaching angry, I'm preaching mad, can they feel that goodness of God in that? No, they don't feel the goodness. They don't feel the complete picture of a loving father. They, they feel half of the picture and they don't understand it. And they think, why would he be mad at me? He made me and put me in this place. But when they see the full picture, now they can understand and appreciate the love of God. And now their heart can move to a place of repentance. And once they move to a place of repentance, they can receive what Christ actually did for them. The promise can be theirs, and they can live in that for a long time. But if you're at the place where you're saying, hey, I know he did all this stuff, and you know, then let's go to verse 5. It says, but because of your stubbornness, an unrepentant heart. This is talking about, now if you're unrepentant, that means that you are staying in that place. That means that you are continuing to sin. You're continuing to sin. You're continuing to go forward in your sin. What you're displaying is an unrepentance and a stubbornness, a pride. I'm right and I want to do this. And look, look at this. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, what you're doing, the sin, and the next one verse says, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So what you're saying is, see, at this point, what the age of grace is, is that at this point, he's not looking at your sin. He doesn't even see him. But when it comes to the end of your life, or the end of judgment, or, or when Christ comes back and judgment day comes here, and you did not receive Christ, in other words, the sin was not that you hated somebody, or you stole from them, or lied, or all of the Ten Commandments uh, necessarily. The sin was you didn't believe on the Savior. You didn't believe on Christ. And what happens is all of that stuff that you did stored up that wrath and what you didn't allow by your faith, what you didn't place on Christ by your faith is stored up for you and will be poured back out. In other words, if I don't accept the substitute, I still have to pay for it. So it's not something for us to play with. And especially, one of the things that the Holy Spirit said to me some years ago is this. He, he said, look, everything that you do from this point forward adds weight to the, to the weight that Christ bore that day on that cross. And if I really love him, I don't want to do anything. If I love him, I don't want to do anything that would add the weight of my sin to him that day. Now, he's already paid for it, but I don't want to make that any heavier than it had to be. And my love for him says, I'm willing to change and do, repent and do whatever I need to do so that I don't add anything else to what you carried. Does that make sense? 
So it's a place where, man, God has really set us free. And God does not hate the sinner. Not anymore. The complete picture of him is not hate of the sinner. Otherwise, there would have been a lot of people struck down. You and I probably would have already been struck down. He loves us. He is only the loving Father. And he's done everything and even made it free for you to get. For you to grab a hold of and be made right with him. And so we need to take it seriously. And we need to live our lives accordingly. And we don't live our lives because we absolutely have to or else he's going to get mad at us again. We live our lives this way because if he loved me that much, surely he deserves to reap a harvest of love from me. And that's how we should live. Not because we have to, because we want to. And you know what? If you're really born again, that's the fruit that will be in your life. Not because you have to, it's because I want to. You'll have the fruit of his love. So does God hate the sinner? No, he doesn't hate the sinner. Did he at one time? Well, obviously he did, yes. But it was an incomplete picture. He was moving to a place. You know who he ended up? Listen, this is very interesting. Do You know who he ended up hating? Because of that sin? Christ. He's the one who took the fullness of that hate for that day. While he was in the grave, until he got up, until he said, hey, it's finished. I have I've borne that weight. I have carried the weight of sin. And the power of God and the love of God reignited and energized in him, and he was the firstborn of many brethren. And he was able to pour out his wrath and judgment on Christ so he wouldn't have to pour it out on you. What a God. What a loving Father that we have. Father, we praise you right now. Lord, let's just stand up. Lord, right now, as we talk about your goodness, your word says that it leads us, your goodness leads us to a place of repentance. And I just, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, you can. I just want to open up the altar and say, and say, you know what, if you want to come up here and say, Lord, I need to repent. I need to, I need to uh, receive your forgiveness and change my way of thinking. If you want to do that and step up here, you're welcome to. There's something powerful about stepping out and saying, I need to change my way of thinking. And just let it be between you and God. And just say, Lord, I, I repent. I change my way of thinking, I change my actions. I ask for your forgiveness and I know that I already have it. And Lord, I receive. I believe and I receive my forgiveness. I am made right with you. I am made a new creation. Lord, from this point forward, you are my Lord. You are my director. And I believe that you died for me. And that God brought you back to life and brought me back to life with you. Lord, whatever, it, you know, right now I just, I feel like we, I should continue in this. Whatever that thing's been, man, it's had a hold of you. And maybe you haven't fully repented. Maybe it's somebody that's watching. You have not fully repented and said, God, I've got to change this. You might have wanted to, but in your heart you never got to the place where you said, 
man, if you loved me, I want to love on you right now. And I just challenge you, love on God with the love, powered by the love that He loved you with. Let His love empower you to walk out change in your life and receive His forgiveness right now. Lord, we thank You for Your love. We praise You. Lord, thank You for not hating us. <laughs> thank You. Because you know what? You didn't have to. You didn't have to not hate us. We were messed up. Sinners. Helpless. We couldn't help ourselves. And the Word says we were even Your enemies. And instead of hating us, You loved us with an everlasting love. And brought us out of the pit that we did not deserve to be brought out of. Lord, we praise You. And we thank You. And Lord, Your, your sacrifice and Your love, it, it, it doesn't absolutely demand that we respond. You don't make us do it. But Lord, when we turn our love back towards You, that love demands that we change. That love for You demands for us to be a different person. You don't put the demand and make us do it. Force us into it. You give us a choice. But when we truly love You, that love demands that we become different people. And we continue the process of becoming different people, looking more and more like Christ every day. Father, we pick up the cross of that change daily and say, here's my life and I'm willing to give it to you. And Lord, we walk out the other side of this evening, of this message, different people. Looking more like Christ instantly. We receive your love and we walk empowered by it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a good night.